When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Andrew Giuliani wants to be the next governor of New York. Andrew Giuliani. I shouldn't fumble your last name because that's key here, Andrew. It's not that, Andrew. On the Red Apple Podcast Network, here's Andrew Giuliani. Well, welcome to another episode of Not That, Andrew. I am graced today with our first studio guest, somebody who I've known literally my entire life, Heather Powers McBride. First off, Heather, thank you very much for being first guest on Not That Andrew. It is not only an honor, but I actually thought you were going to cancel on me. Yeah? And here's why. Last week, I learned something. Don Lemon informed me that women... You get a lot of your news from Don uh, Lemon, by the way? If he says it, it's gospel truth. We might have to cancel on you right now, actually. Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. He said last week, women in their 20s and 30s are in their prime. Right. 40s maybe still in their prime. And so I, you know, after he said that, and he was kind of referring to Nikki Haley, I was like, oh my gosh, Andrew's going to cancel. I mean, yeah. he's building his podcast. He doesn't want to have someone past their prime. Yeah. I thought you'd call, say you're going to take your podcast in a different direction. Right. You know, what does this pastor prime lady have to say? And yet you let me come. Yeah, I was thinking about it, but you know, I didn't want to, I want to save WABC the lawsuit and I figured that uh, this would be a good, <laughs> just, you know, We'll do it. And, you know, we may play this. We may not play this. Well, that's so this, true. That, that's the one thing we may do. We may bury it. Bring her in. Yeah. Let her think. Yes, I like it. What else yeah. is going on in the world of Don Lemon now that we're on uh, on Don Lemon over here? You know, I mean, when Don Lemon gets semi canceled, I mean, I think right now it's at there should be a word for like the pre cancellation period mm-hmm. where they pull someone off the air and no one knows where it's going to go. Yeah. Although then again, it's CNN. There's kind of a playbook for what's going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wonder what he's doing. Like, yeah. is he taking a nice beach vacation or is he biting his nails at home? I think I saw that he is down in Miami taking a nice beach vacation. So you nailed this. You nailed okay. it in terms of where he, where he is. So you're, I mean, your antennas, your Don Lemon antennas are right on. You yeah, nailed it. Right. And, and just kind of ironic that he's flocking to Florida. <laughs> that awful... Extreme right state. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Very ironic. You know, now it's funny that you get all your news from the one and only unique Don Lemon because you actually started your career at Fox News. And if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. was your first job at Fox News as a showrunner for Hannity and Combs? Correct. Wow. Right. And that's right as Fox was just budding in the in the beginning days of Fox, right? So I started, yes, it was June of 1997. We were still not on the air on Time Warner Cable. Wow. So, you know, and your dad was very important in striking that deal, Mm -hmm. which was a lot of negotiations. So we were, it was a very strange feeling to be working in New York, being, working on a national news channel that wasn't even seen when I got home from work at night. (laughs) And yes, it was Hannity and Combs. TV was so different then. Each segment, each topic, 30 minutes, two topics in a one hour show. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, they really went deep. Yeah. 
That's amazing. So, but would the commercial breaks be similar? So you would go yeah. through like two commercial breaks. And so you'd have three different segments on one topic. Yes. Correct. I, I, you know, I only th like I think about the last time I really remember that. Um, I remember the Bobolinsky interview with Tucker Carlson a couple mm -hmm. weeks before the election where yeah. Tucker kept him on the entire hour to go through that. But unless yeah. it's it's a story that really, you know, is grabbing all of the headlines, they'll rarely bring it over into another segment. You're lucky to get a minute and a half these days yeah. on cable. Yes, absolutely. So it was very, very different. We really got into we got into debates. It wasn't always left right debates. It was often kind of a cultural debate, a different time. But Sean Hannity, Alan Combs were incredible. Alan, may he rest in peace. Incredible yeah. bosses. I learned so much from them. Yeah. And then yeah. After that, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, you were a reporter, a field reporter in mm -hmm. Binghamton, New York, right? Yes. Yeah, which we definitely spent a lot of time on on the campaign and then settled at News 12, the Bronx mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. And most recently, and your worst job yet, was being the press secretary and director of communications for Andrew Giuliani, who I hear terrible uh, things about. Man, yeah. that guy. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, that was... It was the first time I ever worked in communications where I didn't have to over modify what I was saying. You know, we could take a stand. Right. We could give a quote that was a little controversial. It was so much fun. I felt like I, this was really weird. I don't know why as a journalist, I felt like I had to say things that represented both sides. And that was fair because right. clearly that was, you know. An uphill battle. Well, it's and Don I Lemon's mantra, right? This <laughs> <Yeah>. is... <laughs> I was taking that on all on my own. But yeah, working for you was so liberating. And then I think I was able to grow in the job where I think at first I thought my job was to try to protect you from, you know, at people who would take something you said the wrong way. <laughs> and and you'd let her rip. You never said anything, you know, too crazy, but it was still it was very refreshing. Yeah. yeah. It is amazing, though, to see that evolution of how the media covers it. Right. You, you mm -hmm. were on a show like Hannity and Combs. It would present both sides of the issue on a daily mm -hmm. basis. And you had somebody who obviously Sean Hannity is is a stalwart and one of the greats in conservative media. Mm -hmm. But you also had Alan Combs, who was not just some paper tiger out there. I mean, he was a guy who could really hold his own, present the other side of the issue. And now it's, it's amazing how media has evolved in all this. A hundred percent. There was an interest. CNN had that show Crossfire, which mm -hmm. was similar to Hannity and yep. Holmes, where you brought people on and you let them duke it out. Allen was also, though, he was a classic New York liberal mm. as opposed to a leftist. Right. Which is different because I think sometimes we wake up now as conservatives and we're realizing that we're thinking a little more like classic liberals. Yes. And yeah, so he he really approached things not necessarily from his political party, but just more of a live your life the way you'd like to. Yeah. You know, I love that you mentioned how conservatives, I think, look and probably assess and say, we are more classically liberal if you look and, and yeah. now I'm drawing a blank mm -hmm. on the name of the great economist from the 70s and 80s who was so important in the Reagan administration. Oh, it'll Sowell come, it'll or, come or, back wait, to no, me. Wait, or, no, 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 not wait, Sowell. Not, uh, uh, he did all of the PBS doc, oh. like 10 series of PBS documentaries. It'll come back yes. to me. He okay. talks about classic liberalism. Yes. And I think you see now with so many things on the left, really the idea that wait a second, we're not even willing to present both sides of the story. I just saw recently that the New York Times is having major issues with the staff 
because they don't think they are being fair enough to the trans community because they just admitted that there is another side to this. Not that they they've still they've still killed the J.K. Rollins of the world, who That's is right. a liberal, who certainly would never be mistaken for a conservative or a Republican. But just the fact that they've acknowledged that she exists, you know, it, yes. it really is like Pravda in so many ways. Yes. And this amazing ability to eat their own. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And if you are straying from the narrative or even presenting a nuance, yeah. you're out. Yeah. One of the issues that I know is close to your heart, is very close to my heart, yes. as we dealt with on the campaign, is uh, are some of these vaccine mandates, which yeah. still in New York, some of those, so many of those firefighters, police officers, nurses who were fired because they chose not to get the vaccine shot, the COVID shot, still do not have their job back. And one of the things that you want to talk about, I'm really mm -hmm. glad that you brought up, was the fact that in Sunnis and in so many other states mm -hmm. around the country, they are still requiring vaccine and the booster, even though we've seen that it does not prevent transmission. And if you think about it, 18 to 22 year olds are the least susceptible of the entire population. Yet the faculty, they're not required to get it. It's upside down. Yeah. It left is right. <laughs> <laughs> North to South, it's it makes no sense even to require something that's going to protect someone only themselves seems a little paternalistic and not what America is all about. Right. Like, I'm going to force you to take this shot because trust me, it's better for you. Mm -hmm. That makes no sense whatsoever. But yes, these kids, especially young men, are in that higher risk range for myocarditis, pericarditis. Why are people in their 40s suddenly having cardiac events and these silly articles that are coming out saying mm -hmm. it's because you're too, you know, I've seen that happiness causes a heart attack right. now. Anything causes a heart attack. And these kids are in a very difficult position. So I have a college student. I won't get into where or anything mm -hmm. else. But when masks returned, I want to say March of 2022. Mm -hmm. So they all came back from spring break and they were all told masks need to come back. And these kids are also they, uh, boosters were required and they entertained very, very few religious exemptions mm -hmm. and medical exemptions are hard to get because doctors are being pressured. Mm -hmm. So the masks came back on and this college has kind of, you could describe it as an internal Twitter feed mm -hmm. where you can anonymously post and people are posting their opinions on it. All these kids, even though they seem to trend left politically, are very unhappy about the COVID regulations and the masks coming back on and that it makes no sense. But then, and my daughter was sending me screenshots because she knows I'm so fascinated. And then a couple of kids mentioned in different ways that it would disrespect all of the anti-war protests that college students did in the 60s and 70s and civil rights protests that students took part in over the years if today's students were to do this over COVID. So they don't believe they have the right to stand up and unite and say enough, which is so sad. Yeah. They're taking situations that were important and part of American history and you know, putting a red herring in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we can't make this our civil rights movement. Right. And that's sad. But of course, that's kind of what the left does. They, they put this poison pill into the idea that you're going to suggest that masks or vaccines aren't working. Mm -hmm. 
and make you selfish. Well, it's only a mask. Yeah. It's only another shot. While the kids don't like it, I don't think they feel like they have the right and it's so competitive to get into college and they all feel lucky to have gotten in. Yeah. And it's just perpetuating. Yeah. You know, I saw, uh, I was on a flight yesterday mm -hmm. and I saw the people that were in front of me that had a mask on. And I don't know if they recognize me. I'm sure they would have put three more masks on if they did recognize <laughs> me because they know that I've chosen not to yeah. get the shot. But, you know, when I first see somebody with a mask on, my immediate reaction is, that's an idiot because that's somebody who does. But then I kind of think to myself, like, you know what? If somebody wants to do that, that's their free will. The government shouldn't tell them that they can't put on five masks if they want to do that. For sure. That's their choice. Getting back to the idea of classic liberalism, it is mm -hmm. amazing that you've seen this kind of push on the left to control, to mandate, to push people out of jobs and make them choose what should be an individual health choice versus their livelihood. You know, on the yes. campaign, when we dealt with the first two debates, not being able to be in the room, even though the other candidates who I was competing with at the time, yeah. and it was even though the other candidates said, hey, we're happy to have him in there. I was mm -hmm. going to be at least 15, 20 feet away from the moderators for the New York One debate. Specifically, I was yeah. literally in New York One studios a few weeks before that debate. They had no issue with that, but then they had an issue once CBS made an issue with theirs. But I always thought for me, I was like, look, you know, I don't think in any kind of way that I deserve any credit for this because I'm not risking my job, right? I was the principal yeah. on this campaign. And, but when we stood with so many, of, and I know you really interacted with so many of the bravest for choice, mm -hmm. so many of the nurses, so many of the school teachers that made that choice, that decided, that said, you know what, this, my personal health choice is so important to me that I'm willing to risk my job. That to me really gripped me in a way that fewer things on the campaign or in my life in politics or outside of politics has gripped me since. I'm glad you brought it up. I will say without exaggeration, those people changed my life. Yeah. Because, you know, we talk about firefighters and police officers and teachers who lost their job. And, and then we find out in the last few days that these teachers, that the Department of Education in the city coded these teachers who were fired to the FBI as problematic so that when they apply for another job, if there were to be a background check, they are unacceptable for the rest of their professional lives if they ever want to work in the public sector or somewhere where there would be a background check. It was so punitive, and I'm glad that we're looking into the weaponization of the government against its citizens. But those people changed my life because I think about they wake up every day. We would pull a press conference together and the way it would work, a lot of things would be on the fly. People would cancel their day to come and stand with you. People who have lost their jobs, who have not rebounded from this situation. They woke up and, and found themselves fighting for something in a, in a very lonely place because there, there are a lot of them, but they're not that many of them. And a lot of people just went back to living their lives. They dedicated so much to your campaign and their belief in you was magical. And you never let them down. You didn't just you didn't just talk about their point. You stood with them. I felt honored that you had people that would, you know, because when you're around politics and, and you like I have been around yeah. politics for the overwhelming majority of your life is one thing I haven't touched on in this is mm -hmm. is the fact that Heather's dad and my dad were best friends for 
almost 60 years, more than 60 years, yes. I think, going back to high school, high school best friends, kind mm -hmm. of met in the principal's office. Although I think your dad was better behaved than my father <laughs> from what it sounds like. Although my father set a very low bar, as many will tell mm. you these days as well. But basically, we've known each other and spent yes. Christmases, Thanksgivings together forever. But when I think about those people that have made that choice, I just have incredible respect. And I'm honored that in so many ways, they would allow me to be their spokesperson. And the point that I was getting to. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry no, no, for no, no, the praise. No, that was me. That was me, I think, <laughs> who did that all in my crazy mind. But the point that I was getting to is in politics, you see so many people that just walk the walk. And then mm -hmm. once the cameras go away, they're on yes. to whatever's next or, or whatever this. So. To actually see people that actually put their livelihoods on the line, their life's on the line for that yes. uh, is, is humbling and inspiring. Oh, absolutely. A, a huge cost, a huge price. Yeah. I mean, even if, if you don't go ahead and get vaccinated to keep your job, even if you just lose your job, you go find another job that's not as good as your last job and you go on with your life. To point at someone and code them as problematic as an employee, you know, there, one woman in particular, she was a teacher. She was a mom, right? You picture her getting up probably at the crack of dawn, packing her kids lunch, getting to school on time, doing yeah. all the stuff she does. And she's a problem, yeah. just coded as a problem, a nice general problem. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Your supporters were amazing. I stay in touch with a lot of them still. Yeah. I love seeing the notes that <laughs> you forward over to me that I see there. And, it, and it's, yeah. uh, you know, this is people we'll stay in touch with for the rest of our lives. And, you know, but one of the things that you've stayed also very up on is the state of New Jersey politics. Yes. And we saw that in 2021, how close Jack Chiarelli was. Is it Chitterelli or Citarelli? It's Chitterelli. It is Chitterelli, yes. right? But okay. when you I get hungry sure. and you're looking for a gourmet yeah. meal and you think of Citarella, <laughs> I just want to make sure because yeah. I always feel like I, yes. I kind of say sit and then chit yeah. and I go Chitterelli. back and forth yes. both ways. But obviously, mm -hmm. it was so close. I think yeah. if he had some of the funding behind him a few weeks before, maybe would be the current governor of New Jersey. But what's going on in the state of New Jersey? I know it's a general question, but I'll let you I'll let you take it wherever wherever you want to. Well, I mean, we, we're kind of we're getting our hands dirty with vaccines. So I will start with that. So now that the CDC approved putting the COVID vaccine on the childhood vaccination schedule, New Jersey has the right without involving the legislature, the Department of Health may add that vaccine onto the schedule, meaning schools that require vaccinations will require that shot. So public schools right now, you can have a religious exemption. So you can write a simple letter mm -hmm. citing the, the code, the law. I, for religious reasons, will not be submitting my child's vaccine. You know, I, you know, I am not vaccinating my child and that's blanketed. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to pick and choose. You get that religious exemption or you don't. But if you don't, you have to get everything that is required. So for public schools, religious exemptions exist, which, by the way, in New York, they do not. Right. So you don't yep. have that luxury in I, New York. I know a couple of people yeah. that have moved from Staten Island and Brooklyn to New Jersey just oh. so that way they can actually put their kid into school in New Jersey. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, you but here's the rub. Private schools honor religious exemptions. Religious schools defer to their diocese. Right. And so I know right now Newark and Trenton will not accept religious exemptions. Wow. So if you go to a some sort of parochial school, yeah. some sort of religious school, you may not 
you know, you may not have that luxury. Wow. And I went to a Catholic school in high school in New Jersey, in Bergen County. We were under the Diocese of Newark. Yeah. So I'm going to have to actually look more into that. That's fascinating. It is. That's a, that's amazing that actually in public schools, mm -hmm. you can apply and for the most part are approved the religious exemption, but you go into a Catholic school and you mm -hmm. cannot actually receive that religious exemption. Yes. And, you know, I think not to get too deep into Catholic politics, but- mm -hmm. You know, I think the Pope said it was an act of love. Right. I think the aborted fetal tissue is not being focused on. So in the Catholic world, are you knowing better than the Pope yeah. if you want that exemption? It's really hairy. And you just have to hope that they don't put the COVID shot on the official schedule in New Jersey. But uptake is very low. I yeah. think they would know that would be an extremely unpopular position. And you would have to hope it would be enough trouble for Governor Murphy not to do it. Yeah. I, you know, the Pope is a whole nother conversation, yes. but I, when I, <laughs> when I think about it, right, I yes. look at a guy who has prioritized trying to bring people into the church and he's, mm -hmm. uh, tries to really appeal to the media all around the world, which we know not just leans, but really tilts to the left. Yeah. And I think in, in some ways he sacrificed some of the major ideals that, we as Catholics believe in. And I think that's I think that's his decision. That's his choice. That's mm -hmm. his deal that he has made in some kind of ways. But I guess we are getting into the Pope if I'm mentioning <laughs> that. So uh. it's a slippery slope. <laughs> anyway, yes. I'm going to definitely have to put some money in the poor box after after this one. Uh, yes. Say if you are fathers, no doubt about that. But, you know, going back mm -hmm. to our parents, mm -hmm. uh, it's not just your dad and my dad that mm -hmm. know each other so well, but our mothers have you know, been best friends for 40 years now yes. and, and still live around the corner from each other in, in both of the places that we grew up. You know, One of the things I remember going back a few years ago, I saw an old home video. This is before I was born of when your younger sister, Krista, uh -huh. who is down in Washington, she actually lived with for the first year that I worked in the White House. And you were actually being babysat by my parents while your parents were yes. in the hospital going to deliver Krista. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was your poor mom. <laughs> she kept trying to, you know, do you want to go for a walk? I have a good I have a cookie. And I was like, I will be sitting here in stillness until I hear of the arrival of my baby sister. Thank you, Donna. And she yeah, it, she was amazing. She was always and I, I tell her this and it's it's a great grandma quality. I'm like, she was always the woman, the mom who would get in the pool with you. Right. <laughs> she was so much fun. We had a lot of fun. You know, I see kids. that yes. now with Grace because she'll, she'll come and she'll watch after Grace a couple mm -hmm. times a week. Mm -hmm. And she was just with her last week. And I mean, she was down on all four hands and knees oh. playing with her this. And thankfully, yeah. she's still in very healthy, good health. But still, I'm thinking, you know, look, my, she's getting older like that's got. But, she, you know, you can just see that the not just the love that she has for her, but how much she really genuinely enjoys it. Yes. I've loved seeing your parents become grandparents. Yeah. It's it's, it's been very sweet. <laughs> it's I mean, I see that with with your mom and certainly your dad, Peter Powers, before he passed away, having to have the opportunity to really yes. get to know your children in a way that he might not have had he not been able to fight. He passed away from cancer, I guess, about mm -hmm. seven years ago now. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And it's funny, too. I mean, you know, seeing your parents as grandparents and they're so much cooler than when they were your parents. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, it is true. Oh, you're so easygoing yeah. and, and you're funny and you're. 
<laughs> I think that's probably because you know that there's you're going to have some kind of a respite. You're like, I can take a deep breath <laughs> yes. and like look away from my child for a couple minutes and know that there's somebody else that would give their life for that child. And you can yes. just take a breath. It's true. Maybe it's like take a shower, go yes. for a walk, go do a workout or something like that. Yeah. And so because of that, you look beyond all of the things that they said, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. It's like this person is angelic because they've come in here and they've actually given me a few moments where I can actually be myself again. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And I have one child, you have four. So, I mean, yes. I can't imagine what that's like times four. Well, it is, you know, you got to butter someone up if you want to go on a trip. You got to start planting the seed. Well, someone invited us here, but we're probably well, not going to go. Yeah. That's because your mom's Sicilian right there. So that's a whole nother thing. It's a process. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But no, it's it really, this is so much fun. I've, I really, really love this. You know, going back to some of your days in the News, the news 12 in the Bronx, mm-hmm. you were a reporter there, what, from... 2002 to about 2005. Is that the window or am uh, I wrong about let's that? Let's see. Oh, four. Oh, four. To oh, eight. Okay. Oh, nine. Oh, nine. So yeah. what was the Bronx like at that point? Because, you know, the Bronx generally, when you look at the five mm-hmm. boroughs in New York City, always seems to have some higher crime statistics. We're even seeing that now as crime has gone back up. What yes. was it like as, you know, a younger, newly married, new, mm-hmm. you know, new mother to be working in the Bronx at that point? I never for one second felt unsafe. Wow. Which I think is saying a lot. Yeah. So we were, News 12 is a shop where you have to be a one-man band. Mm -hmm. So I would, and sometimes my shift went till 10 p.m. So it would be dark. It would be late. I'd have to go cover something. I'd drive, you know, drive up to the spot, pull out my camera. I never felt unsafe in any neighborhood at any time. There was a lot of revitalization Right. Bloomberg was mayor. He Mm -hmm. was definitely building on what your father started. And it was yes, there was crime for sure. But it was not it's not the tone that I have when I talk to my daughters when they are about to go into Manhattan now. And I say, be careful. And it's not just that I'm a mom of teens. It's it's that things are different. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I mean, the Bronx always gets such a bad rap. I did not have that experience working there. It's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I wonder if today you could say the same things in right? the Bronx as we've seen, you know, the disastrous bail reform policies. What's oh. that done in New York? Yeah. And I know that's something that dealing with not just in New York, but also to a certain extent in New Jersey, it's not as bad, but you're seeing it in other in other liberal states. Well, it's fascinating. I live in a suburb, mm-hmm. probably 15, 20 miles from Newark, mm-hmm. which is also near the Elizabeth Seaport. Right. So the the crime that seems to happen in our town is people weren't always great about locking their cars. And the crime would be to steal the car from the driveway. And if it's the type, I guess, that can do well on the, you know, internationally, it gets driven straight to a uh, container or to a, a, a ship and gets shipped off right. and never to be seen again. And that's happening more and more. Yeah. And, and the police in our town say, well, you know, there's, you know, if you arrest someone, they're out in a few hours. Yeah. So we're not, unless you start locking your doors, which people seem to have, there's no stopping it. Yeah. Got to take the keys out of the car. Cause I know a lot of people left those keys in the car and that's where they go. They go and check. It's so true. And the key fobs yeah. right there. So yeah. you gotta, you gotta take those keys out of the car, but you know, before we finish up mm-hmm. today, and I got to have you on some more because I feel like we just really scratched the surface of all this. But I want to hear a couple of memories that you have of the 1989-93 campaign. Uh, this, you know, I, it's funny. 
We saw Curtis yeah. Lee as we walked in, who's my new enemy, by the way. If you've oh, been listening to yes. Stephen Friends in the morning, he's, yes. yeah, he's decided that uh, he calls me an Eric Adams Republican, even though I called Eric Adams impotent on air. I guess that wasn't <laughs> enough for him. Uh, maybe he misheard my words and thought I called him that. But uh, anyway, my newfound enemy, Curtis Lee, was one of the memories that I have from 1989 playing stickball. But I don't remember oh, much wow. of that campaign as I was uh, you know, only three years old. You're only a couple years older than me. Yes. But what memories do you have? of the 89 or 93 campaign that really stick out. Okay, so 89, you loved your bomber jacket. You ah. had a cute little bomber jacket and you always wore that. Right. You you were very high energy and would- Not, not low energy Jeb. No, <laughs> no not, not low energy Jeb. Okay. You were truly the energizer bunny, but okay. faster. <laughs> uh, but you lit up a room. Yeah. And it was fun to see. But then I want to say between the two campaigns was your Ghostbusters phase. Oh, yeah. Big right? time. Where, you know, you had your power pack. Yeah. No, I'm calling it I'm the wrong thing. I'm still in my Ghostbusters phase, by the way. <laughs> I haven't phased out of that yet. And then whatever character you were that day, you know, call me Winston. Call me Dr. Bankman. Yeah. Like that's and that's who you were for the day. Yeah. You took your job seriously as a as a auxiliary Ghostbuster. Yeah, I, <laughs> I still do. I live less than a mile away just in case I need uh, a call and, yeah. and you can I can come on in there, you know. But I do remember I remember it was just so it was so exciting. I loved coming along to campaign events. I was grounded during the 89 campaign. Oh, what I, for? So I, I took my parents car. I was 14. I, I was just trying to drive it in a parking lot. Right. And uh, I sideswiped the car next to me. Uh, so I spent a lot of the summer <laughs> working for the campaign. <laughs> so that was your punishment, working for your first Giuliani campaign. Yes. Uh, that was the punishment for stealing and sideswiping your parents' car. Yes, correct. Yeah. Well, yes. So yeah, your dad was campaigning a lot, but my dad was campaign manager. So he was around a lot. And you know, my dad loved to dispense lessons. So it would be like, <laughs> Heather... You see, I made coffee. The boss should always make coffee. <laughs> you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> see, I was told you can't get too good at making the coffee because then otherwise you're going to get the menial jobs <laughs> right like, there. like, Andrew, we're out of coffee. But I guess I should have listened to my godfather a little bit more. But uh, yes. yeah, I just have so many great memories yes. as, as you get more into that. But, yes. you know, just uh, we're going to have to have you back on right. soon, yes. Heather, because I've we just like I said, Scratch the tip of the surface yes. here. And, you know, you're just such a incredible person in oh. my life. And I mean, truly, and I say this about my mother, too, and, and I see this in your work outside of outside of what you did for my campaign. Uh, but you were the type of reporter that you would not know their political affiliation when you were telling a story. And I say that about my mother as well, because you look and, yes. and I think that's so important. It's an art that seem, we seem to be losing. I hope it's something that somehow gets revitalized because I think it's so important to the public good. Thank you so much. That is very sweet. Yeah. I feel like my closing words are not going to be as profound. That's good. That's okay. Uh, you know, Lent is coming up. Yes. And I always think to myself, what will I give up? And then you're my first thought. <laughs> I could never give up to ketchup like Andrew did. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's the only thing that's kept me from being 300 pounds is that I take those 47 <laughs> days because it's oh. the seven Sundays as well. And sure. we had a big debate about this. Oh. So Sunday, do you is Sunday a cheat day for you or not a cheat not day? Not for me. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, right? But Curious. isn't it for yeah. your sister or your mother? I remember having oh, yeah. this. I it is, right? I think it is. Yeah. But you know, they're not as hardcore as we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I go right through yeah. and I make sure. And generally I'll lose like 10 
10 to 15 towns during Lent. And and I'm, I'm terrible at dieting for the rest of the year for the other 10 and a half months. But for some reason, for that stretch, it makes me know that there's a higher power that I can actually lose weight. You can do it Lent and he can help reason. you. I love it. It's, yeah. you know, maybe that sounds like an Instagram influencer you could become if, you, if this <laughs> WABC doesn't work out. For I you. like it. Okay. <laughs> count, count us in over here. Well, Heather, thank right. you so much for being our first oh, in-studio guest. It was an honor. For Not That Andrew. So come back mm-hmm. next week. Heather, will have you back soon. And we'll see you back next week on Not That Andrew. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.